Greetings, Detective. Welcome to the Murder Mystery Company in our new free service, Calm Mystery. We know that many of you need that calm and centered moment, but meditation isn't necessarily your thing. If you're a mystery lover, a crime fan, and could use a break, you've come to the right place. It sure is a suspenseful world out there, but I have good news for you. In this world, the only suspense will come from the world's best writers. For the next few minutes, we're going to close the door on the outside world. First, find a comfortable chair, sofa, or bed. Take a moment to just relax into that spot. Let your body sink in, slowly releasing the day's tension. Just relax. You've earned this time. You need this time for you. Your body will thank you. Now let's take a moment to clear your mind. I want you to focus on two things. My voice and your breathing. Take a deep breath in through your nose. Let it out slowly through your mouth. Now the same thing, but let's breathe on my count. Three counts in and four counts out. Breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. As we do this, you're going to slowly relax more and be perfectly ready for tonight's dastardly tale. Now again, breathe in. One, two, three. Now out. One, two, three, four. One more time, breathing out the last bit of stress. Breathe in, one, two, three. Now out, one, two, three, four. Excellent. Tonight's tale of mystery, intrigue, and murder is truly spine-tingling. Welcome to Calm Mystery. Our selection this time, The Push of a Finger by Alfred Bester, read by Perry F. Bruns. Part 4 Seems to me you ought to start with the catastrophe and follow the chain of causation link by link back to the source. Why not use the prognosticator backwards until you locate the moment when the snowball first started rolling? There was a very long silence while they thought it over. The controller looked slightly bewildered, and he kept muttering, Cats? Clover? Old maids? But I could see the CS was really hit. He went to the window and stood looking out, as motionless as a statue. I remember staring past his square shoulder, and watching the shadows of the Helios flicking noiselessly across the façade of the judiciary building opposite us. It was all so unreal. This frantic desperation over an event a thousand years in the future. But that's stability. 
It's strictly the long view. Old Cyrus Brennerhaven of the Morning Globe had a sign over his desk that read, If you take care of the tomorrows, the todays will take care of themselves. Finally, Groding said, Mr. Carmichael, I think we'd better go back to the Prague building. Sure, I felt proud. We left the office and went down the hall toward the pneumatics, and I kept thinking, I've given an idea to the chief stabilizer. He's taken a suggestion from me. A couple of secretaries had rushed down the hall ahead of us when they saw us come out, and when we got to the tubes, three capsules were waiting for us. What's more, the CS and the controller stood around and waited for me while I contacted my city editor and gave him the official release. The editor was a little sore about my disappearance, but I had a perfect alibi. I was still looking for Hogan. That, my friends, was emphatically that. At the Prague building, we hustled through the main offices and back up the curved stairs. On the way, the CS said he didn't think we ought to tell Yar, the little old coot I'd hoodwinked, the real truth. It would be just as well, he said, to let Yar go on thinking I was a confidential secretary. So we came again to that fantastic clockwork room with its myriad whirling cams and the revolving crystal and the hypnotic bam-bam of the motors. Yar met us at the door and escorted us to the viewing desk with his peculiar absent-minded subservience. The room was darkened again, and once more we watched the cloud of blackness seep across the face of the universe. The sight chilled me more than ever, now that I knew what it meant. Groding turned to me and said, Well, Mr. Carmichael, any suggestions? I said, The first thing we ought to find out is just what that spaceship has to do with the black cloud. Don't you think so? Why, yes, I do. Groding turned to Yar and said, Give us a close-up of the spaceship and switch in sound. Give us the integration at normal speed. Yar said, It would take a week to run the whole thing off. Any special moment you want, sir? I had a hunch. Give us the moment when the auxiliary ship arrives. Yar turned back to his switchboard. We had a close-up of a great round port. The sound mechanism clicked on, running at high speed with a peculiar wheedly-woodly-weedly garble of shrill noises. Suddenly the cruiser shot into view. Yar slowed everything down to normal speed. The fat needle nosed into place, the ports clanged and hissed as the suction junction was made. Abruptly the scene shifted and we were inside the lock between the two ships. Men in stained dungarees, stripped to the waist and sweating, were hauling heavy canvas-wrapped equipment into the mother ship. To one side two elderly guys were talking swiftly. "'You had difficulty?' "'More than ever.' Thank God this is the last shipment. How about credits? Exhausted. You mean that? I do. I can't understand it. We had over two millions left. We lost all that through indirect purchases and... And what? Bribes, if you must know. Bribes? My dear sir, you can't order cyclotrons without making people suspicious. If you so much as mention an atom the day you accuse yourself... Then we all stand accused here and now. I'm not denying that. What a terrible thing it is that the most precious part of our existence should be the most hated. 
You speak of the atom. The speaker gazed before him meditatively, then sighed and turned into the shadowy depths of the spaceship. I said, all right, that's enough. Cut into the moment just before the blackout occurs. Take it inside the ship. The integrators quickened, and the soundtrack began its shrill babble again. Quick scenes of the interior of the mothership flickered across the crystal. A control chamber, roofed with a transparent dome, passed repeatedly before us, with the darting figures of men snapping through it. At last the integrator fixed on that chamber and stopped. The scene was frozen into a still photograph, a tableau of half a dozen half-naked men poised over the controls. Heads tilted back to look through the dome. Yar said, It doesn't take long. Watch closely. I said, Shoot. The scene came to life with a blurp. Ready on the tension screens? Ready, sir. Power checked. Checked and ready, sir. Stand by all. Time? Two minutes to go. Good. The gray beard in the center of the chamber paced with hands clasped behind him, very much like a captain on his bridge. Clearly through the sound mechanism came the thuds of his steps and the background hum of waiting mechanism. The graybeard said, Time. One minute forty seconds. Gentlemen, in these brief moments I should like to thank you for all your splendid assistance. I speak not so much of your technical work, which speaks for itself, but of your willingness to exile yourselves and even incriminate yourselves along with me. Time? One twenty-five. It is a sad thing that our work, which is intended to grant the greatest boon imaginable to the universe, should have been driven into secrecy. Limitless power is so vast a concept that even I cannot speculate on the future it will bring to our worlds. In a few minutes, after we have succeeded, all of us will be universal heroes. Now, before our work is done, I want all of you to know that to me you are already heroes. Time? One ten. And now, a warning. When we have set up our spatial partition membrane and begun the osmotic transfer of energy from hyperspace to our own, there may be effects which I have been unable to predict. Raw energy pervading our space may also pervade our nervous systems and engender various unforeseen conditions. Do not be alarmed. Keep well in mind the fact that the change cannot be anything but for the better. Time? Fifty seconds. The advantages? Up to now, mathematics and the sciences have merely been substitutes for what man should do for himself. So Fitzjohn preached in his first lecture, and so we are about to prove. The logical evolution of energy mechanics is not toward magnification and complex engineering development, but toward simplification, toward the concentration of all those powers within man himself. Time? Twenty seconds. Courage, my friends. This is the moment we have worked for these past ten years, secretly, criminally. So it has always been with those who have brought man his greatest gifts. Ten seconds. Stand by all. Ready all, sir. The seconds ticked off with agonizing slowness. At the moment of zero, the workers were galvanized into quick action. It was impossible to follow their motions or understand them but you could see by the smooth timing and interplay that they were beautifully rehearsed. There was tragedy in those efforts for us who already knew the outcome. 
As quickly as they had begun, the workers stopped and peered upward through the crystal dome. Far beyond them, crisp in the velvet blackness, that star gleamed, and as they watched, it winked out. They started and exclaimed, pointing. The graybeard cried, It's impossible! What is it, sir? I... And in that moment, blackness enveloped the scene. I said, Hold it. Yar brought up the lights, and the others turned to look at me. I thought for a while, idly watching the shimmering cams and cogs around me. Then I said, It's a good start. The reason I imagine you gentlemen have been slightly bewildered up to now is that you're busy men with no time for foolishness. Now, I'm not so busy and very foolish, so I read detective stories. This is going to be a kind of backward detective story. All right, Groting said. Go ahead. We've got a few clues. First, the universe has ended through an attempt to pervade it with energy from hyperspace. Second, the attempt failed for a number of reasons which we can't discover yet. Third, the attempt was made in secrecy. Why? The controller said, Why not? Scientists and all that. I don't mean that kind of secrecy. These men were plainly outside the law, carrying on an illicit experiment. We must find out why energy experiments or atomic experiments were illegal. That will carry us quite a few decades toward the present. But how? Why, we trace the auxiliary cruiser, of course. If we can pick them up when they're purchasing supplies, we'll narrow our backward search considerably. Can you do it, Yar? It'll take time. Go ahead. We've got a thousand years. It took exactly two days. In that time, I learned a lot about the prognosticator. They had it worked out beautifully. Seems the future is made up solely of probabilities. The integrator could push down any one of those possible avenues, but with a wonderful check. The less probable the avenue of future was, the more off-focus it was. If a future event was only remotely possible, it was pictured as a blurred series of actions. On the other hand, the future that was almost positive in the light of present data was sharply in focus. When we went back to the Prague building two days later, Yar was almost alive in his excitement. He said, I really think I've got just the thing you're looking for. What's that? I've picked up an actual moment of bribery. It has additional data that should put us directly on the track. We sat down behind the desk with Yar at the controls. He had a slip of paper in his hand, which he consulted with much muttering as he adjusted coordinates. Once more we saw the preliminary off-focus shadows, then the sound blooped on like a hundred stereo records playing all at once. The crystal sharpened abruptly into focus. The scream and roar of a gigantic foundry blasted our ears. On both sides of the scene towered the steel girder columns of the foundry walls stretching deep into the background like the grim pillars of a satanic cathedral. Overhead cranes carried enormous blocks of metal with a ponderous gait. Smoke, black, white, and fitfully flared with crimson from the furnaces, whirled around the tiny figures. Two men stood before a gigantic casting. One, a foundryman in soiled overalls, made quick measurements which he called off to the other carefully checking a blueprint. Over the roar of the foundry, the dialogue was curt and sharp. 103.7. Check. Short axis, 52.5. Check. 
tangent on ovate diameter. Three degrees point oh five two. Check. What specifications for outer convolutions? Y equals cosine x. Then that equation resolves to x equals minus one half pi. Check. The foundryman climbed down from the casting, folding his three-way gauge. He mopped his face with a bit of waste and eyed the engineer curiously as the latter carefully rolled up the blueprint and slid it into a tube of other rolled sheets. The foundryman said, I think we did a nice job. The engineer nodded. Only what in blazes do you want it for? Never saw a casting like that. I could explain, but you wouldn't understand. Too complicated. The foundryman flushed. He said, You theoretical guys are too damn snotty. Just because I know how to drop forge doesn't mean I can't understand an equation. Maybe so. Let it go at that. I'm ready to ship this casting out at once. As the engineer turned to leave, wrapping the rolled blueprints nervously against his calf, a great pig of iron that had been sailing up from the background swung dangerously toward his head. The foundryman cried out. He leaped forward, seized the engineer by the shoulder, and sent him tumbling to the concrete floor. The blueprints went flying. He pulled the engineer to his feet immediately and tried to straighten the dazed man, who could only stare at the tons of iron that sailed serenely on. The foundryman picked up the scattered sheets and started to sort them. Abruptly, he stopped and examined one of the pages closely. He began to look through the others, but before he could go any further, the blueprints were snatched from his hands. He said, What's this casting for? The engineer rolled the sheets together with quick, intense motions. He said, None of your blasted business. I think I know. That's one quarter a cyclotron. You're getting the other parts made up in different foundries, aren't you? There was no answer. Maybe you've forgotten Stabilization Rule 930. I haven't forgotten. You're crazy. Want me to call for official inspection? The engineer took a breath, then shrugged. I suppose the only way to convince you is to show you the master drafts. Come on. They left the foundry and trudged across the broad concrete of a landing field to where the fat needle of the auxiliary ship lay. They mounted the ramp to the side port and entered the ship. Inside, the engineer called, It's happened again, boys. Let's go. The port swung shut behind them. Spacemen drifted up from the surrounding corridors and rooms. They were rangy and tough-looking, and the sub-nosed paralyzers glinted casually in their hands as though they had been cleaning them and merely happened to bring them along. The foundryman looked around for a long time. At last he said, So it's this way. Yes, it's this way. Sorry. I'd like you to meet some of my friends some day. Perhaps we will. They'll have an easier time with you than you're going to have with me. He clenched fists and poised himself to spring. The engineer said, Hey, wait a minute. Don't lose your head. You did me a good turn back there. I'd like to return the favor. I've got more credit than I know what to do with. The foundryman gave him a perplexed glance. He relaxed and began to rub his chin dubiously. He said, Damn if this isn't a sociable ship. I feel friendlier already. The engineer grinned. I called, Okay, that's enough. Cut it. And the scene vanished. Well? Yar asked eagerly. I said, We're really in the groove now. 
Let's check back and locate the stabilization debates on Rule 930. I turned to the CS. What's the latest rule number, sir? Roding said, 715. The controller had already been figuring. He said, Figuring the same law production rate, that would put Rule 930 about 600 years from now. Is that right, Mr. Groding? The old man nodded, and Yar went back to his keyboard. I'm not going to bother you with what we all went through, because a lot of it was very dull. For the benefit of the hermit from the moon, I'll just mention that we hung around the stability library until we located the year SR 930 was passed. Then we shifted to stability headquarters and quick-timed through from January 1st until we picked up the debates on the rule. The reasons for the rule were slightly bewildering on one hand, and quite understandable on the other. It seems that in the 150 years preceding, almost every Earth-wide university had been blown up in the course of an atomic energy experiment. The blow-ups were bewildering. The rule understandable. I'd like to tell you about that debate because, well, because things happened that touched me. The integrator selected a cool, smooth foyer in the administration building at Washington. It had a marble floor like milky ice flecked with gold. One side was broken by a vast square window studded with a thousand round-bottle panes that refracted the afternoon sunlight into showers of warm color. In the background were two enormous doors of synthetic oak. Before those doors stood a couple in earnest conversation, a nice-looking boy with a portfolio under his arm, and a stunning girl, the kind with sleek-shingled head and one of those clean-cut faces that look fresh and wind-washed. The controller said, Why, that's the foyer to the seminar room. They haven't changed it at all in six hundred years. Broding said, Stability, and chuckled. Yar said, The debate is going on inside. I'll shift scene. No, wait, I said. Let's watch this for a while. I don't know why I wanted to, except that the girl made my pulse run a little faster and I felt like looking at her for a couple of years. That's it for Part 4 of The Push of a Finger by Alfred Bester, here on Calm Mystery. Who is this stunning stranger, and what effect will she have on the future of the universe? We may find out in Part 5. In the meantime, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Calm Mystery on your favorite podcast app. And until next time, stay calm. Everything is a mystery. Thank you for listening to Calm Mystery, a Murder Mystery Company production. To solve your own case with us, visit MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, and use code CALM, C-A-L-M, for $20 off your own murder mystery party. We have dozens of entertaining detectives, you can even ask for me, Perry, by name. If no one else can help, and if they can find me, maybe I can help you become Detective of the Night. That's MurderMysteryZoomParty.com, all one word, code CALM.